especially in the entrepreneurial space and in real estate space, we hear a lot of don't have shiny object syndrome and shiny object syndrome is very demonized. And depending on the definition of it, there's good reason for it in many ways. But I think there's a very important counterpoint to that, which is healthy experimentation and shiny object syndrome aren't the same thing. And depending on the phase that you're in, healthy experimentation is really necessary to allow you to figure out what you're passionate about. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you reach financial independence through real estate investing, and it'll help you build wealth on Main Street with real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Patrick Menifee. Patrick left his day job to become a full-time real estate investor a few years ago, and he was successful in his real estate investing ventures, buying a few units to get himself to the point where he could leave his job, and then starting flipping, building income as a flipper, and ultimately he achieved that financial independence, but he found himself looking for a new why, looking for a new cause, something new to do, a new passion. And today we're going through first his journey of leaving his day job through real estate investing and flipping. And then his metamorphosis, his journey after that to reinvent himself to find new goals and new passions. He's a young guy and a lot of folks out there who have financial independence as their goals, great goal, very admirable. A lot of folks who reach that think that, okay, once I reach that, I'll just sail off into the sunset and I'll be happy. But the reality is once you reach that, you're still gonna be alive. You're still gonna need something to do. And this is a story of reinvention, of finding new goals, finding new passions, more important passions to keep pushing forward. And this is Patrick's story of doing exactly that. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and I invest in multifamily and self-storage properties. To date, I've acquired, invested in, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate deals. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast five stars. I always appreciate that. You guys gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're building wealth on Main Street along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Patrick Menifee. Let's go. Patrick, thanks so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you, your background, your very inspiring journey, can you tell us about yourself, what you do, and how you got there? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Taylor. Very happy to be here. I mean, you could go all the way back to being a kid and starting a business there, but I don't think we have time for that. I, But I grew up seeing business ownership, entrepreneurial work from my mom from a very early age. And so that that carried with me throughout my life. And real estate was really the entry point that made the most sense for me. Between then I joined the army and they, cause naturally they foster a really, you know, individualistic and entrepreneurial <laughs> culture. But so after I got out of the army, I got into consulting and I had no idea what, like I, I had the bug, but I had no idea where I wanted to take it. So consulting for me made sense because I could see different areas, see different industries, learn a lot about things that I knew nothing about. And it was while I was doing that, that I got into real estate truly. And so I had created a, a vision in my mind of getting to financial freedom, getting to really creating my own life, my own terms, and real estate became the path to get there. So as soon as it, as soon as I bought my first property, it was all in head first. So I bought a, it started in September, 2019 with a quad. A week later, I closed on another six unit place. A couple months in December, 
A couple months after that in December, I closed on a duplex and then there were a few more at the start of COVID and also got into flipping. So over the next year, it ended up being 12 months or 13 months from the time that I bought the first property to I had 20 doors, two flips and quit my job. But it was a good job too. I was a six figure job, very comfortable. So that was really, that was a big turning point for me. Not just because obviously quitting your job is a turning point, but it became a really big turning point because not only I pursued that freedom for really truly my entire life, but especially over that past year. And once I, that was my entire purpose. And so once I got that freedom, I actually lost my purpose. And so I, over the next, really over the next two years, I kind of dabbled in a bunch of different things. I started in, I just continued flipping and started a flipping company built that up, had a few employees, and then shut that down last year, ended up getting into business acquisition, bought a lawn care company last year, and really, truly recently only found what I love doing, which is helping people through coaching and mentorship. And it started, you know, someone that I sold a deal to last year asked me to coach him and work with them. And that just kind of started. So now that I'm getting into that, it's, that's where I find a lot more fulfillment. And so I'm getting rid of a couple of real estate deals that are just active work and kind of a pain in the butt that I don't want to deal with anymore and shifting into more passive investments so that I can really spend my time focused on what I care about, what I'm passionate about, as opposed to what's going to, I don't know, make me have to deal with a bunch of contractors and headaches that we all love dealing with. Nice. Nice. So a lot of folks out there, busy professionals tuning in, have that goal of achieving what you achieved a few years ago, which is that financial freedom, leaving your job and you know, moving forward with your life, doing what you want to do. But they have a lot of questions around doing that, a lot of limiting beliefs or, or what have you. I think a big one that comes into that is, okay, you bought 20 doors. How in the world did you fund buying 20 doors? I mean, did you just have capital sitting nearby. Did you get creative? What did you do? Yeah, I I love that question because when you say that, the, the initial response that everybody thinks is, well, this guy's parents gave him a bunch of money and so that's how he was able to do it. I built up my own savings and my own equity investments over the past, uh, over my entire adult life. And I sold almost all of them when I got started. And so, and it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like I had a ton, but I had about $85,000 to start with and half of it went into my first deal. And cause I, you know, I put 25% down, was in on my own on that quad. And then after that, I realized, well, shit, I'm halfway out of money. So I got to do something else. So the next <laughs> projects that I did or the next acquisitions that I did were all with partners. So the second one I got into with only $4,000, the next one, each one of them was very little. So the 20 doors and really everything that I've built since then is based off of that initial nest egg of mine that I'd sold that I'd built up for 10 years and partnerships, strategic partnerships where I was the one doing the work. And I was the one that I started also trying to get my name out there through my Instagram and through created a meetup here in town. So that attracted other people to me to gain a reputation. And that was how I was able to get some partners as well and really scale the rest of them. Wow. Okay. So in terms of finding those deals and just making them appealing to a partner, how did you really do that? I think a lot of folks, when they think about bringing in a partner, they say, well, I don't want to give up part of it. Obviously I want the whole deal, but I need to give something to the partner who's come bringing something to the table. So how did you divide up like the returns, responsibilities, all that kind of a thing? Yeah, each it, it's funny because each deal is different. And I, there were four deals. Now there's more that I've done with other partners, but those four deals initially were with four different partners, which I don't know that I would technically recommend that for someone, but it 
it worked because I didn't have one person that I could just continue to partner with with capital. And so as a result, though, to answer your question, each one of them was structured a little bit differently. In some cases, it was me and someone that was active where we used hard money and we split the deal 50-50 and we actually split the work 50-50. That was one of the deals that I did. Two of the other ones were, I'm going to do pretty much all of the work and we're going to split the deal somewhere between one of the deals. I try to take the emotion out of it as much as possible. So I I try to set buckets of, and it does, you end up having to negotiate the buckets, but I set buckets of, okay, money, particularly cash, because the only thing that really matters in the money side is cash when you're dealing with the smaller deals. The cash makes up, say, 50% of the deal and all the work makes up the other 50. So if you bring 100% of the cash to the table, you get 50% of the deal. If you bring, so I put, I, the second deal that I got, I pitched that to my buddy and he was like, all right, well, I want you to have a little skin in the game. So you put 10% in, I'll do the other 90%. So I brought 10% to the table that gave me 55% of the deal and he got 45%. So it's a, at the end of the day with each one of them, you've got to get creative and you got to work with, I think you can either work based on the partner early on, which I think is necessary. Once you have a reputation and once you've done a bunch of deals and you've got, you know, the idea of supply versus demand, once you've got enough supply coming in where you get to pick and choose, then you can say, here are my terms, take it or leave it. But I I wasn't at that point early on and I don't think a lot of people are. So it was a lot of negotiation, figuring out how we could make it work. And that was typically 50, 50, 60, 40, somewhere in there is typically what I ended up with. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. So in getting started, and doing that first deal or those first couple of deals, I think I, I wonder really how much of this this ability to to push through, drive through, do the deals, you know, not have limiting beliefs, what have you. How much of that is nature versus nurture? Do you just you've been an entrepreneurial guy your entire life? Do you think that's just you know innate in us, or is, in, is that a, a quality that can be trained and, and learned? I think it's both. I, I think it can be both. I think you're certainly given a leg up if you have it in your nature, but also there's plenty of people who have it in their nature and they squander it. They don't do anything with it. So you, even if it is in your nature, you've got to nurture it and vice versa. You can also, I think you can warn it. It just is going to take a little bit more work to do. But I, I think that a lot of times people that don't innately have it, it ends up becoming more of an excuse than it's harder. It's certainly harder, but anything that you want that's going to be worthwhile to drive towards creating your the life that you want is going to be difficult. Or you've at least got to be able to go through something difficult. And if that's learning how to, you know, get your get roughed up a little bit and work through a few deals and make it work, then price you pay, I guess, a little bit. <laughs> I certainly paid it more times than I wish I had. But so. Another thing you achieved, you know, financial independence, you left your job and became a full-time entrepreneur. I think a lot of people see that goal, they think about achieving that goal and that their problems will all be solved and everything will be great and they'll sail off into the sunset and never have an issue again. But it sounds like when you hit that point, you weren't really sure what to do or maybe had to kind of reinvent yourself and your goals. Would you agree with that? What did what did it feel like to have to determine that next goal, that next step. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about it was that I didn't even fully realize it at the time. I was obviously very excited and it was very rewarding and fulfilling. And I also right the week before I found out or that I was quitting my job, I found out that we were having a baby. So that threw a nice little wrench in there too. But that was, I mean, there was a ton of excitement and then it, 
wasn't until the excitement faded and I just kind of realized that I wasn't fulfilled with the work that I was doing, which really took, it did take some time. It wasn't like on that day, I realized that I didn't know where I was going. I was flipping houses. I was trying to figure out what to do with it. But that was, that was a hard part. Once you actually realize that like, this isn't really the path that I love and this isn't what I truly want to do. I think there's, you don't need to have everything figured out before you make the jump. So I think, you know, if I apply the lessons that I've learned, it's, it's not have it all figured out and don't jump until you have it. I, I wouldn't change anything about what I did, but if I could help other people smooth out the process a little bit, it would have been to make the, the aspect or the point of financial freedom when you do quit and you do say goodbye, make that a des or make that a milestone along the way, as opposed to the destination at the end of the journey. Because if you, even if you just had the idea in your head and you're like, okay, I know, you know, four five, six, seven steps towards where I'm going, you can always change that. But at least having a, an idea of where else you're going and what drives you and what your purpose is. I think you've got to, it really helps if you start thinking about your purpose and your why before you leave. Great. I think a lot of people think that, okay, once I hit that point of financial freedom, leave the job, focus full time, you know, do whatever I want, that I'm just going to keep working till I can get a bigger house or a nicer car, but, or, or what have you more, you know, material possessions at, at a higher level. But it sounds like that maybe isn't the direction that you decided to go, or maybe you, did you think about that for a little while and ultimately find it not a compelling reason to push forward? I mean, there's always the, the materialistic, you know, temptation out there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny because when I got started flipping houses, which is I, when I quit, I didn't have the passive income to replace my income. It was, I had some and then flipping made up the balance. And so I would flip a house, it would provide six months worth of runway. And then I'd flip another house and I'd just, you know, continue to extend the runway. And initially the goal was flipping was going to provide the capital to put into deals. So I didn't have to split the deals 50, 50, and I could do it myself. And then I could generate that cash flow. So that made the whole purpose of my investing to answer your question about money. And once I started doing more and more of that, it just, it started becoming less fulfilling. Like I, and not only did it become less fulfilling, but I got very competitive with it. And so my competitive nature came out and I was like, well, I've always wanted to run a business and I should be able to do this. So I'm not just going to flip so that I can put money into passive investment. I'm going to create a whole flipping business from the ground up by myself because that makes sense. And so that's what I try to do. And so I try to take what my initial idea was and turn it into something that it wasn't because I liked the idea of business. I liked the idea of the money that came from it, but I didn't really have the third piece to tie it together, which was the, the purpose and the fulfillment that came from it. And so that makes it really hard when things get difficult. So I think that's been the realization was that it was money that I was chasing and it wasn't fulfilling. And also when it wasn't fulfilling, that also then makes it harder to generate the income because then you don't have a why to pull you through beyond just money, which isn't a good enough one in my opinion. So since realizing that and since working through that, that's been, you know, I spent most of last year shifting and pivoting and it's been hugely beneficial. Just wish I'd started the process a little sooner. <laughs> So tell us about reinventing, you know, I don't know whether you call it reinventing yourself or reinventing, rediscovering your goals and purpose, but how did you ultimately come to, you know, your, your new and, you know, revised goals and purpose? One, I had a really good coach that helped ask a lot of hard questions that was really important for me at that time. He realizing that I needed to make a pivot was one thing, figuring out where the hell to go from there was another altogether. And so 
I we talked about it before the show, but I, I'm a fan of Jason Drees and some of the stuff that he teaches. And one of the things is the idea of pursuing, basically pursue the known, but be open to the unknown. And so for me, what I knew was real estate. That was that was my known. So I started moving into that. I just bought an 18 unit apartment earlier this year. So when I pivoted away from flipping, I thought, let me try an experiment with multifamily and do more with commercial. And I started going down that path. And then I started a couple of conversations and call it random divine intervention, whatever you want to call it, led to the idea of business acquisition. And so I ended up buying a business and enjoyed that path a lot. And along the way, I had someone that asked me to coach them. And so all of these things, I think we hear a lot of, especially in the entrepreneurial space and in real estate space, we hear a lot of don't have shiny object syndrome and shiny object syndrome is very, very, very demonized. And depending on the definition of it, there's good reason for it in many ways. But I think there's a very, very, very important counterpoint to that, which is healthy experimentation and shiny object syndrome aren't the same thing. And depending on the phase that you're in, healthy experimentation is really, really necessary to allow you to figure out what you're passionate about. And so that was, I mean, that was it for me. I had to try different things. I had to, from an outside observer looking in, it probably looked like I was all over the place, like a squirrel chasing all sorts of stuff. I went from flips to multifamily to buying a business to almost buying another business to now I'm coaching. And, but I had to go through those steps to realize that business acquisition was really exciting. I really enjoyed the process. And then when I started getting customer phone calls afterwards, I realized that that wasn't what I loved doing and what I was passionate about doing. And I fell back on coaching and I realized that through all of the things that I had done, helping people, helping create frameworks for people, helping people move on to the next level, teaching people what I've done, teaching people even how to just get where I am right now. All of that is where I've, I've done it my whole life. I just never knew that I could also marry that with making an income. I thought I always had to be <laughs> separate. So I, that's a really long answer to your question, but that discovery and healthy experimentation is the way that I was able to do it over the course of the, really over the last nine months to a year. Wow. So yeah, you thought you had to coach for free, essentially, if you will. So now that you're, you know, coaching people or you have been coaching people, teaching people, well, I guess you've been coaching and teaching people the whole time, but now that it's, you know, your main business, what are you finding that the, the biggest areas for improvement or areas that people need help with the most op often? I'm sure there's probably, you know, three or four common denominators amongst the folks you work with. Oh, that's a really good question. I think the one thing that we always end up coming back to is this idea of push or pull where people are either pushing away from discomfort or they're getting pulled towards something really good. And there's a spot in the middle that's comfort and that's what's dangerous. So if you're on, if you're in a job that you hate, that's barely making ends meet, like you've got a, you got a fire under your ass to start moving towards wherever it is that you're going. But if you're comfortable, if you've got a really good job, if you're making a comfortable, you know, six figure job or whatever it may be, you've got a good life and you can live comfortably, then you need to have some type of pull to get you out of there. And that's the part where I see people get stuck and struggle consistently is they don't have, just like me not having a why that was strong enough, they don't have a strong enough why because they've never dived into that. And as a result, when things do get hard because they've got a really good, comfortable situation, you know, if they start getting into real estate or something like that, if things get hard, if they don't have the why behind it, they don't 
have a reason to keep pushing through or they don't have something to get them out of bed to move forward on the real estate business or move forward on whatever it is that they want to do because they don't need to truly. So you've got to create for a lot of people, they've got to create a need. And that's, I think that's what I've seen the most consistently is people don't have that need. And so they stay where they are because it's comfortable. Do you think that, I, I wonder how much it is creating that need versus really, you know, understanding our needs or understanding our, our longer term needs or our longer term impacts, what we can do for our families, that kind of a thing. Like how much is it, is it creating versus really trying to take a, a longer term perspective and a bigger, you know, bigger perspective on the impact that we can have? I mean, to me, creating almost feels like, I don't want to say this derogatorily necessarily, but, but we don't want to contrive a why we want to have a genuine why. Yeah. So how much is it like, how do you get to that point of, of discovering what that why is? You know yeah. That's a, and I'm glad you said that. It's a really good distinction. I, I don't think it's creating. I think a lot of times it's just uncovering and there's, I think it starts into, in a couple of different ways. Like you've got the, the idea of where you're going. A lot of people have an idea of where they would like to go. You've got kind of the trajectory that you're on, and then you've got the path that you'd like to be on. And if it, you know, if you think about it, like a computer, it's, you've got one operating system versus a different one. And so if the, the different operating, if the vision of where you want to go sits on a different operating system, you've got to, you've got to elevate yourself. And so a lot of times you almost, we have this idea in our heads where maybe like you talked about impact for family and having a bigger, making a bigger difference. And I think a lot of times that if that's on a different operating system than where you are right now, it seems like an idea that's too foreign to get you out of bed. And so like, even for me, that was my, that was where I was at. I had this dream of this life with my family and about making an impact on the world, but it was always out there. And I didn't actually, I, I, I wanted it and I felt like I needed it, but I couldn't internalize it because it was too far out there. And so I needed to, when, I guess when I say create the why I needed to create a more tangible, closer version of that. So it really, it, it, makes it more in the frequency that you're already working in and that you can actually fully understand and contemplate and realize, like I put a picture of my wife and some of the things that we were wanting to do. And I, I created very tangible examples of those that allowed me to have that in front of me. And then while pursuing that, that helped me until I was able to find what I'm passionate about. And that was as, you know, as I was going through the process, getting to my passion for coaching, now I don't necessarily need to have that thing right in front of me because I've now internalized the work that I do and the passion for it. So I, it's a, it's a weird answer to the question, but hopefully it made a little bit of sense. No, I think, I think more tangible, the thing that, that comes to mind for me and is, is maybe, maybe like interim goals. So for example, if I had a, the goal of donating $20 million to charity, but I only have $10,000 in the bank account, well, the, the difference between where I am and where I want to be is so far, so vast, not to say it can't be achieved, but I probably need a few steps in between there to keep myself going. Cause I'm, I might, yeah. I'm apt to give up in the middle cause it's pretty far apart. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I think it's creating less of a number as a target is, has been really helpful for me and more of a, what does it feel like there? What is the feeling mm -hmm. that I have when I give or what is the impact that I'm making or what is the difference that I'm making with that money? Because that I, I did that same thing. And I thought that the money almost became 
a vanity metric as opposed to a true measure of the change that I was making. And so if you can then, another way to internalize that or to break it down into now is, what does that look like? What do the habits look like? What do the actions look like? And how can I start doing that right now too? Regardless of, you know, maybe it's a $5 value as opposed to a million dollar value, but now I am taking those actions every single day or every single week that are getting me closer to that. And it may not be on the scale that I want yet, but it is the habit that's occurring. I mean, you hear the, the pretty common, I don't know, it's on memes and all over the place and quotes, but if you're a millionaire or if you've got $10,000 and you don't know how to manage your money, when you become a millionaire, you're also not going to be able to manage your money. And it's the idea that the habits start now. So you got to create the habits now. You got to start building it now. And I think that applies to your vision and your mission too. start internalizing and taking action on some of the habits now. And like you said, absolutely create the milestones along the way too. But the habits are ultimately are going to be what either gets you there or doesn't get you there. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Patrick, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Best one was, it was that deal that I mentioned where I brought 10% of the cash to the table. The beauty of it that went beyond that was, so I put $4,000 into this thing. It was $150,000, $160,000 purchase price. It was three duplexes on a single lot and we subdivided the lot. And by subdividing the lot, it added $100,000 in value to it. So with that $100,000, we were able to take that and flip two houses, which made me $25,000, something like that, off of my initial 4,000. It cash flow as well. The equity has continued to increase. And so we use the equity in it to now get into that 18 unit apartment that I was telling you about. And so this, and I added like $5,000 for that deal as well. So now I've got about, between those two, I've got about $10,000 into these two assets that I currently own that produce 1,500 to $2,000 a month in cash flow and have a total equity of around $200,000. So selling both of those, and like we talked about before, going to roll those into something else bigger and better. But those are definitely the the one best deal that turned into multiple deals. Awesome. Maybe time for a 1031. I love it. Yes. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the mm. worst investment you ever made? I. Uh, <laughs> Still trying to sell this thing. I bought a deal, an eight unit place back in beginning of 2019. It was three hours away. I didn't have a good crew. I put too much faith in a general contractor that I knew. I made, I mean, if you go down the list in a real estate book of what not to do, I checked off every damn box on that list. And to the point where I also held on too long and I've been trying to sell this thing. I've, I've gone under contract to sell it probably seven times now. And 
just about to finally get rid of it for a massive six-figure loss. So that's that one hurts a lot. And in the meantime, I've paid back my private lender. So profits that I've gotten from elsewhere have gone to paying that thing off. So lots of lessons there, tons of lessons. Wish I hadn't learned them the hard way, but that's definitely the worst deal. That one sounds pretty painful. And I appreciate you talking about a lot of times in the real estate space, people don't like to kind of admit cases where they've lost money, but unfortunately that's kind of part of investing as it happens from time to time. Yeah. $175,000 if we're being transparent about it. So good night. Wow. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? It goes back to what we talked about for a long time and it's finding your why. Have a purpose beyond just the money. And it takes time to do it. It takes hard work and it takes my take getting smacked around by a coach or, you know, asking hard questions that you don't necessarily want to dig into or find the answers to, but finding your why, finding out why you're doing what you're doing and really keeping that in front of you. I think that has been the most valuable thing for me as I've found it and as I've really, truly searched for it. Wow. Well, Patrick, thank you for joining us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, you can go. I'm active on Instagram. My Instagram is at investdgp. And I have a website by the same name, investdgp.com. You can also reach out on through email, patrick at investdgp.com. Awesome. I'm on some of the other, Thank I'm on to- TikTok and Facebook and stuff like that too, but I'm not as active there. So, All right, great. Didn't mean to cut you off. I think I was oh, no, out there, but anyway, we'll clean this up. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day. And we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.